Well, our text this morning is John 13 and verse 10. John 13 and verse 10. Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean. And of course, not everybody is clean. And in fact, everybody by nature, everybody outside of Christ, everyone who's not a Christian, is unclean. I don't know if you remember Shakespeare. I don't know if you have read or studied Macbeth. If you have, you'll remember that Lady Macbeth has trouble with guilt. She and her husband have conspired to kill three people, and the guilt of their crimes is destroying her. She imagines that she hears one of the dead men knocking at her door. She imagines that the blood of the murdered people stain her hands. She imagines that she can see the spots of the blood on her hands, and so she keeps washing her hands to no real avail, but she continues to try. She imagines that she can smell the blood on her hands. And she says, here's the smell of the blood still, and all the perfumes of Arabia will not sweeten this little hand. People are watching her as she agonizes over this guilt. And one of the doctors says, more needs she the divine than the physician. She needs more than a doctor. She needs a touch of the divine. She needs more than the expertise of physicians. She needs the grace of God. She needs Jesus to come to her and say, and you are clean. That's what she needs. And what this is, this little phrase that we read in this text, this is a gospel statement. And you are clean. That's a a gospel of Jesus statement. And we want to think about that gospel statement this morning as we prepare our hearts to partake of the table. So I want to tell you about the gospel statement that we read here. I want to tell you about you are clean. And the first thing I want to say is that this is a necessary cleaning. This is a necessary cleansing. It's something you need. It's something that I need. All of us by nature, all of us outside of the Lord Jesus, this is necessary for us because by nature we're unclean. Leviticus 13.45 is talking about a leper, and it says the leper is unclean. The leper has to dwell outside of the camp, can't live with the ordinary people, has to live outside the camp. And when other people are around, he has to say, unclean, talking about himself. He has to warn people. He has to say to them, now you need to back off. You need to watch out because I'm unclean. What a horrible existence. What a desperate state for people like that. 
At times, unbelievers grasp something of our trouble. John Lennon wrote a song called Crippled Inside. Not a very good song, but a, not a very popular one either, but it grasps to some degree the fact that we are troubled people, and not just troubled externally, we are troubled internally. He says, you can shine your shoes and wear a suit, you can comb your hair and look quite cute, you can hide your face behind a smile, but one thing you can't hide is when you're, when you're crippled inside. Another verse says, you can go to church and sing a hymn, you can judge me by the color of my skin, you can live a lie until you die, but one thing you can't hide is when you're crippled inside. In fact, you know, one of the many words in the Old Testament that relate to the biblical concept of sin speaks of the fact that, that sin is like a crippling inside. It's a, it's a twisting of us. The nature of sin, somebody said, is like a, a turning inward of ourselves. Rather than looking up to God, we, we turn in. And we turn in and we're all crippled inside. The Bible says that we are unclean. Proverbs 20, verse 9 says, Who can say, I have made my heart pure, I am clean from sin? And the expected answer is absolutely no one. You can't say that. We read in Job 25, verse 4, How can a man be right before God? How can he who is born of woman be pure? And again, the expected answer, the demanded answer is that nobody can be pure. You cannot, you will not cleanse yourself. In Isaiah 64 and verse 6, we have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. You are, now by nature, before you become a Christian, you are soiled and filthy and impure and, and, and defiled. And remember that God is talking there. He's not talking about the good bits in your life. Sorry, some, something's dripping on me, <laughs> which is fine. You know, we're Baptists. We're not afraid of water. Okay. See, okay, okay. See, that's why the Lord Jesus ordained elders and deacons, right? Now, where was I? Yeah, so Isaiah 64, verse 6 is talking about the best things we can do and the best things about us. And God is saying that those things and those aspects of you and those accomplishments and those things that are true about you, the best things are filthy and impure and defiled and soiled. Let's just turn for a moment to Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 1. And we'll read verses 4 to 6. And this is what you're like outside of the Lord Jesus. Isaiah 1, beginning at verse 4. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, 
children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. Why will you be struck down? Why will you continue to rebel? The whole head is sick and the whole heart is faint. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there is no soundness in it but bruises and sores and raw wounds. They are not pressed out or bound up or softened with oil. And what God is saying is that this is what you are like in a spiritual sense. I wonder if you've ever seen a a wound that is so severe that you are physically impacted, you physically shudder. I remember very well seeing a man who, uh, he was burned to death. He, he was just, he was in the hospital and clinging to life. But he had been in a house fire and he died shortly thereafter. It was difficult to look at. It was difficult to look at this man whom I had known and loved. And God is saying to us that in a spiritual sense, that's what you look like. You're, you're hard to look at. It's grotesque. By nature, that's what we're like outside of Christ. This is a a necessary cleansing, you see. And we read in Hebrews chapter 1 that it says of Jesus that after he had made purification for our sins, he sat down. But that's what we needed. We need someone who would purify us, someone who would cleanse us, someone who would deliver us from the defiling impact of sin in our lives. We read in Job, who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean thing? And the answer given is no one. So you are by nature unclean. You can't make yourself clean. You are by nature impure. You cannot purify yourself. You need Jesus to come and make purification for your sins. And in John 15, we read, uh, rather Job 15, what is man that he can be pure? And again, the answer is that he can't make himself pure. And in fact, in that context, in Job 15, verses 14 to 16, it says that we drink in iniquity like water. Maybe you'll be thirsty at some point today and you'll drink a glass of water and it'll be thirst quenching. It'll be wonderful. But by nature, that's how you react to sin. You drink it in like water. You love it. We're unclean. And so this, this cleansing that Jesus provides is a necessary cleansing because we are defiled and impure. The second thing is that this is a promise cleansing. And the wonderful thing about God and his grace and his covenant and his mercy to sinners is that he was never going to leave us like this. He's chosen a people. He was never going to leave them in the filth and the muck and the mire of their sin. He was going to send someone who would cleanse us. He was going to send someone who would be able to say to us, and you are clean. He pictured it for us. Remember in the Old Testament, Naaman the leper. Naaman the leper. God says of him, he was a mighty man, but he was a leper. 
And he comes from Syria to Elisha. And there's no help in Syria. There's no deliverance in Syria. There's no cleansing in Syria. He's exhausted every avenue. And so he comes to the God of Elisha. And Elisha says, now, stop looking elsewhere. Don't look into the world. Stop looking in Syria. Don't go to the Abana and don't go to the Farpar. These are rivers in Syria. Don't look elsewhere. You need to do this God's way. You need to find help in God and nowhere else. So he says, go to the river Jordan and dip seven times in Jordan. And Naaman responds with faith. He takes God at his word. He believes the Lord. And he rejects all other avenues which are failing. And he goes and he dips seven times in the Jordan. And the scripture says when he did that, his flesh was restored and he was clean. He was clean. So God pictured it for us. He says this is what's going to happen. What happens here in terms of leprosy, that's what's going to happen to you in terms of your spiritual state. Someone's going to say to you, you're clean. And then uh, he promised it to us. He, he pictured it for us, and, and then he promised it to us. If you go back to Zechariah, look at Zechariah chapter 3. And here we see how filthy we are. Zechariah 3, verse 1. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was standing before the angel, clothed with filthy garments. That's us, you see. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. And to, to him he said, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And God, you see, is saying, This is what's going to happen to you. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments, and the angel of the Lord was standing by. God promised this is the kind of thing that's going to happen. This is what this whole work of redemption is all about. And then you read in verse 10, or rather verse um, uh, chapter um, 12 and verse 10. If you move over to chapter 12 and verse 10 of Zechariah, you begin to see there what God has in mind and what God will do in order that this filthy man may be cleansed with righteous garments. Chapter 12 and verse 10, And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child, and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. And then chapter 13, verse 1. On that day there shall be a fountain open for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. You say, that's what's going to happen. That's what God is anticipating. That's what he's working towards. That's what all of the Old Testament is moving towards and comes to this glorious culmination and fulfillment in Jesus 
when he goes to the cross and finishes his work on the basis of which he can say to Peter and to the disciples and to you, and you're clean. This is a promised cleansing. Thirdly, it's a legal cleansing. This is justification by grace through faith. Jesus is saying to these disciples, those who have believed in him, he is saying you're legally justified. He's saying you're clean and you're pure and you're righteous and you're holy. You are guilt-free in the sight of the holy God. How extraordinary is that? Now, they're still sinners. And at this point, they're, they're still sinners. Peter very soon is going to deny the Lord Jesus Christ. The others, they're going to run away from Jesus. They're going to desert him in his moment of great need. They were full of fears and they were full of doubts and they were full of unbelief that they were clean. They were righteous in the sight of God. Romans 5.1, justified by faith, we have peace with God. That's the position of the Christian. That's the position of those who believe in the Lord Jesus. That's their legal status. If you're a Christian, that's your legal status. Maybe you've struggled with sin already today, but you're clean, and you're pure, and you're holy in the sight of God. And you can say with Paul in Romans 8.33, who can lay any charge against God's elect? I mean, you can stand up and say, is there anyone in all the world who can lay a charge against me? Because God justifies. Who can condemn you? You're clean. Pardon from an offended God. Pardon from sins of deepest dye. Samuel Davies wrote that hymn, Who is a pardoning God like thee? And he pardons us from sins, even sins of deepest dye, he says. So you, you can be like, uh, you can imagine that you're, a, you're a, a war criminal. And you can imagine that you're somebody who has committed horrendous crimes in the context of a war. And you're put on trial, and you're found guilty, and you're sentenced to hang. But before you are hanged, You can say something like this because now you're a Christian. I have placed all my confidence in the Lamb who made atonement for my sins. A man named von Ribbentrop was a Nazi war criminal. But late in life he came to Christ. And he was delivered. He was cleansed. He was made guilt-free because of the mercy and the grace of God. This is a legal cleansing. And as I say, they're still sinners at this point. And in fact, it's a strange experience for us because we are at the same time legally perfect whilst also personally imperfect. This is a wonderful and uh, celebrated phrase that Luther used. Simul justice et peccator. What it means is that you are, if you're a Christian, you are simultaneously justified 
and sinner. Legally, you're just and perfect and guilt-free. Personally, on a personal level, you're still struggling. That's why you need 1 John 1, 9. That's why you daily, regularly, hourly come to God and confess your sin and need uh, the, the cleansing blood to be applied. But in terms of your status, you're justified. Your status, you are free. So it's a legal cleansing. Number four, this is a complete cleansing. It's a complete cleansing. Verse 10, you're completely clean. If you're a Christian today, you are completely clean. All your sins are forgiven. Every sin has been paid for. There's nothing outstanding. Zechariah chapter 3 and verse 4. See, I have removed your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with rich robes. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So if you're a Christian, then you are completely forgiven. Every sin has been dealt with. Not one has been forgotten. Not one has been overlooked. Every sin of yours has been dealt with, and every sin has been forgiven. And now you are also clothed in the spotless, perfect righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, thy blood and righteousness, my beauty are, my glorious dress. It's a perfect righteousness and a complete cleansing. Number five, this is an expensive cleansing. It's an expensive cleansing. You have to remember that this is Thursday night. When the Lord Jesus is saying this, when he's kneeling to cleanse their feet, symbolizing what he's done for them, and it's Thursday night. Within a matter of hours, he will be arrested, and by noon the next day, he'll be hanging from a tree. He'll be hanging on a cross. He'll be crucified by Roman soldiers. And so, the forgiveness that he extends, the cleansing that he speaks about, this is not cheap grace. This is expensive. It costs him his life. Hebrews 9.22, And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sins. The fountain that is opened up for forgiveness and for cleansing, it is a fountain filled with blood. It is the death of Jesus that allows him to say to you that you're clean. It's an expensive cleansing. It's a a loving cleansing. Number six, it's a loving cleansing. Why does this happen? Well, it happens because of his love. You read in John 13, verse 1, Now the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He loved them to the end. He showed them the full extent of his love. 
How does he show them the full extent of his love? Well, he goes to the cross. Greater love has no man than this, but that a man lay down his life for his friends. Here in his love, this is the essence of love. This is what love's all about, 1 John 4.10. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the wrath bearer for our sins. That's what love is all about. That's the, the loving them right to the end, showing them the full extent of his love. It's done on Calvary. That's the the unequivocal demonstration of divine love on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's the great demonstration of Christian love, that the, the Son is willing to taste the wrath of the Father in order to be able to say to you that you're clean. This is a loving cleansing. It is, number seven, a permanent cleansing. It's a permanent cleansing. Perhaps today you'll have a shower. You'll be clean and fresh and smell wonderful, and then you'll walk outside for about three minutes, and you'll feel you'll need to have a shower again. Well, think of children after their Their bath, how long does that cleansing last? Not too long at all. Your cleansing, imagine now, your cleansing of all the filth, the kind of filth that we read about in Isaiah, that cleansing is done. It's once and for all, it's lasting, it's permanent. Therefore, having been justified, Romans 5.1, The tense indicates that this is something that does not bear repetition. This is something that's done once and for all. It's not to be repeated. It's not necessary for it to be repeated. It's not something that is repeated. It's a once and for all thing. You have been cleansed. You need to wash your feet. You need to go to the Lord every day and say, forgive me for this and that and the other. And do it with seriousness and with soberness and with tears. But in terms of your standing before God, it's settled once and for all. Peter's going to deny Christ. They're going to run away. Are they less cleansed when that happens? No. They're cleansed once and for all. You don't need to be washed again. You don't need to bath again. You just need your feet washed. And our Lord's talking there about the difference, you see, between their legal standing, their justification, and uh, their personal state, their sanctification. So, you see, this cleansing is permanent. Once and for all, you're justified. And lastly, this is significant cleansing. This is significant cleansing. What I mean is that it has eternal significance. Because you're cleansed, if you're a Christian now, and the Lord Jesus has come to you and said, now you're clean, what that means then, you go to heaven. You read Revelation 21. You take time this afternoon and read Revelation 21. What you'll find is that when it comes to heaven, nothing unclean will enter it. Nothing unclean. So if you're not a believer, you won't go to heaven. 
If, however, you are a believer in Christ, and the Lord Jesus has said to you, as he said to the disciples, and you are clean, well, heaven is your destiny, and glory is your home, because you're clean. Nothing unclean. No, but you're clean. So, this moment, when the Lord Jesus says to you, you're clean, and that's what happens at your conversion, This moment has eternal consequences. It is a moment of eternal significance because it means you'll be with the Lord forever. So this is an extraordinary statement. It's so simple, but it's quite extraordinary. And you are clean. This is a a necessary and a promised and a legal, and a complete, and expensive, and a loving, and a permanent, and an eternally significant cleansing. You are clean. Let me give you a few implications. The first is humility. Humility. By nature, you're not clean. Imagine somebody walks into here, and um, he's, he's foul-smelling. He sits next to you, and you realize that there's a terrible odor, and, and he's all drugged up, and he's all confused, and he's crazed in his mind, and he's crippled in his body, and he's covered with sores, and you sit, and he sits down next to you. And, you know, maybe your heart is not as tender as it ought to be, and you look, uh, kind of look out of the corner of your eye at this individual. Maybe there's an element of despising. I wish he'd sat somewhere else, you know. The Bible says that's what you're like in the sight of God. That's what you're like. You're filthy. There's nothing to be proud about for us. You you might have more money than the other fellow. You might be smarter than the other guy. You might have achieved greater things. You might have more academic ability. But sin is the great leveler, isn't it? We are all of us, those who have fallen short of the glory of God, we are all of us filthy in the sight of the, the, righteous, uh, the righteous God. So, no pride, no strutting around, no looking down our noses, No feeling that we're just a cut above. We have this this terrible desire to be just better than someone else. To feel ourselves a cut above. Winston Churchill said, um, he said, we are all worms, but I believe that I am a glow worm. You know, you can, yeah, we're all sinners, but thank God I'm not as bad as that fellow. My goodness, sin is the great leveler. 
So yes, you think about these things. You think about the fact that you're someone who needed to be cleansed. You needed someone to wash you. It's humbling. Secondly, there's assurance. There's assurance. You're going to walk out of here today, and you're going to sin. And probably, you're going to sin before you even walk out of here. And at some point, you're going to bring shame on the Lord Jesus. And, and then what do you do with that? Well, you remember that you're loved, John 13, verse 1. And you remember that you're cleansed, that your legal status has been settled, and that your eternal destiny is secure. You're safe, you know. You're the object of grace. You've been forgiven everything, and you are bound for glory. Luther writes to Melanchthon about an experience he had. He says the devil, he seems to suggest the devil appeared to him and, and the devil showed him all his sins and how can you call yourself a Christian when you sin in all of these different ways? And Luther says that um, he responded to the devil by saying, and yes, there are other sins as well that you're not even aware of, that's not even on this list. And then Luther recited this text from 1 John. The blood of Jesus, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. And then we're told that Luther grabbed an inkwell and supposedly threw it at, at the devil. I, I don't know about all of that. But the wonderful thing is this, that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. And when the devil whispers in your ear, as he will... Look at your sin. Focus on your sin. And you say, no, I'll not focus on my sin. I'll focus on it only so long as I can repent of it and turn from it and run to Jesus. And I will cling to this, that the blood of Jesus cleanses from all sin. And that's my hope. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. He's the one that cleanses. I'm not trying to cleanse myself. And how well I live the Christian life is not the reason for the cleansing and it's not the basis for my status before God. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. So, tremendous assurance. A third implication, service. You can read this whole passage and, and the Lord Jesus is serving. He's getting down on his knees and washing their feet. I thought about this, and I thought, I really, I really don't know. I really don't know if I could wash your feet. I'm not sure. I'd like to say, of course I would, because I love you. But I'm not entirely sure. He did. And he says, well, now you serve one another as I have served you. So God, who's done this for us, we spiritual lepers, and he's cleansed us. Surely then, we want to be useful in his service and a blessing to his people and a light to this generation. Service. Fourth implication, salvation. You are clean. That's plural. 
It's not apparent to us with English, but it is plural. He's saying to the disciples, you are clean, but not all of you. And I wonder about this congregation. And I I do believe most of us here are clean, but perhaps not all of us. Are you clean? Have you been forgiven? Have you trusted Christ? And I want to say to you that one of our hymns says that the vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus a pardon receives. The extraordinary thing is that you could have walked in this door today a non-Christian. Just like Christian in Pilgrim's Progress, you walked into here carrying the burden of your sin on your shoulders. That's how you walked in. You sat down in the chair. And all through the service, you've been You've been bearing this burden of sin on your shoulders. And you feel yourself to be a vile offender, a great sinner in the sight of God. And the hymn writer says, the vilest offender who truly believes, who truly comes to Jesus, that moment from Jesus a pardon receives. Right away, forgiven, justified, and Jesus says to you, as it were, And you are clean. Now that could be you. If you will simply trust the Lord Jesus. Doesn't matter how young you are or how old you are. There's forgiveness for you. There's cleansing for you. There's a fountain. You can plunge yourself into that fountain and be washed whiter than snow. And lastly, holiness. Holiness. If you're a Christian, you're legally holy. But you also want to be personally holy. You are externally holy. You want to be internally holy. You're justified and you want to be sanctified. In 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 11, Paul talks about all kinds of wickedness and sin. And he says, such were some of you. So we've been changed. There's been a radical transformation in your life. You're free from the guilt. The power's been broken. But now you want to rid yourself of sin, so you want to be serious about holiness. And the fact that the Lord Jesus has said to us, you're clean, that motivates us. It stirs us to say, now, Lord, cleanse me within. Help me to rid myself of every vestige of the sin that brought you to the cross. Serious, I mean, serious about holiness. If you, if you walk out of here and you're cavalier about sin, you don't understand what we're talking about. And if you understand what we're talking about, what we're rejoicing in this morning, you will be serious about getting rid of sin. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Father, how we thank you for the fact that the Lord Jesus has declared unequivocally that those who believe in him are clean. And we thank you for that and we praise you for your grace and mercy to us in the Lord Jesus. We pray now that as we, reflecting upon these things, 
celebrate the table. We ask that you will help us so that the Lord Jesus might be ever more precious to us and we might understand with greater clarity and rejoice with greater fervor than ever before in the grace that has rescued us from sin and declared us not guilty in the sight of a holy God. So bless us, we pray, and continue with us for Jesus' sake. Amen.